This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. Good morning. Welcome into Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Jay White, here today with Jeremy Thompson, the Hattiesburg Computer Doctor. Everyday Tech is MPB Think Radio's show about consumer tech and your very own personal IT department all wrapped up into one convenient package. Jeremy can help you fix it. Wilts can help you keep it safe. Both can do either well, so you're in good hands either way. I want to hear from you this morning. Got any tech problems, issues, or questions, or do you have an experience or a story to share? Something you're excited about, something new that you're about to get into in tech that you want to share your excitement with the world with or share your, uh, I don't know, your uh, your not-so-excitement, if it might be. want to hear from you this morning. You can email us, everydaytech at mpbonline.org. Jeremy, good morning. What's going on, man? You doing all right? Hey, good morning, Jay. Yeah, man, I've been dealing with a lot lately, and uh, I... Uh I've been typing up some notes for the show because, you know, I've got ADD, so I've got to stay, like, on task. Me and, too. Like, Me too. I've got, like, I've got, I've got, like, a good page here on Notepad with notes, and I'm like, how am I going to make this concise? But, yeah, man, I uh, I have had some, some interesting encounters, uh, mostly with uh, either people being hacked or tricked. Um. I have one client who contacted me recently and he said, Jeremy, I'm having trouble with my Facebook page. <laughs> and he said, I, I think I've been hacked. And I said, okay, well, you, you better come see me. So um, he comes to the union to see me and I'm, I'm looking at his phone and I'm kind of assessing what's going on. And I'm looking under his security options and I see his number, a number that's definitely not his, and then an email that's definitely not his. So I was like, what is going on here? So I pull out my tablet, and when I pull out, you know, a second device to have to take care of things, it's, it's getting pretty serious. <laughs> so I pull out my tablet, and I log into his Facebook account through my tablet with his email address, and it is blank. And he says, this is what's been happening. He says, when I try to log in on my computer at home, it's blank. I have no friends. All it says is my name. There's no picture. There's no messages. There's nothing. I said, okay, that's weird. So I look back on his phone. Everything's there. Log back in on Facebook.com. Nothing's there. And I'm like, what is going on? So it turns out that Randy had gotten tricked and somebody had asked him to give the code, the authentication code that Facebook sends you whenever you want to reset your password. And so what they did was they took a... Uh, an e- a disposable email address, and they attached that to his account. So when he tried to log in with his email address, it would come up blank because the hacker had created a, a blank profile and attached his email address to it. So when he logged in, that's what he'd see. And I said, oh, okay, well, that's clever because you would just think like, oh, my Facebook is broken. I've got to set up a whole new one. Meanwhile, the entire time that this is going on and you're trying to figure it out, this person that's attacked his account has messaged like every friend and asked them for money saying that he's in trouble. Yeah. And 
a lot of acquaintances of Randy know that he's probably not going to be the guy hitting up people for money on Facebook, especially. Yeah. But he's also got a lot of good friends. So I was, you know, reading through some of the messages that were sent and a lot of his friends were like, yeah, yeah, I can help you out. Let's meet up for lunch. Let's talk about what's going on. And I think that's like the best response to something like this because it requires to be there in person. So it's like they were trying to vet, like, is this really Randy? Because I don't really think this is Randy. I don't think Randy would ask me for money. So anyway, to get his account back, I had to use his phone. And every time I would go into his security settings on his phone, it would show that other logged in device. Well, the first thing I did was remove the email. I think that was a mistake because that alerted the hacker that I was trying to take the account back over. So after I removed the email, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to take the phone number off and I get booted out. It says this device has been logged out. So, you know, when you're logged in on a session on a browser or whatever, you can go into the security settings and you can say log out all currently signed in devices. So, I just logged back in, and by this point, the hacker had tried to like reset the password, but it didn't matter because it still had Randy's phone number attached to his account. So I would just go through, reset it, Facebook would send a code to his phone number, and then we'd go through and do the whole thing again. So I would log in, the hacker would kick me out. I would log back in and kick him out. This went back and forth for about 15 minutes, and I told Randy, I was like, man, we're going to have to wait for this guy to get bored because he is right on top of this thing. Eventually, I was able to go in, take his fake account with his real email off of that account and put it back on his and then remove the number. But I was like a millimeter away from actually losing his account. There was times where I thought, man, this guy's got us. This guy's he's got the recovery password. I mean, he's got the recovery number and the email. He's one step ahead, but I was able to get in there and finagle my way around. And I was like, man, this is a lost cause for the guy trying to do this. I'm glad we could just waste his time, but he didn't get any money from anybody, but it's still, it was just a major inconvenience for Randy because he didn't know what was going on. It was a complete mystery and it took a while to fix and it was uh, it was pretty fun, man. I mean, I was like, you know, I was my nerves. I was shaking a little bit, you know. I was like, man, this is like, this is the most intense that my life gets. So <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy this. But uh, yeah, I was able to help him out, and um, I have a feeling that's not the last time that something like this is gonna happen. And it's weird to see that I went from you know installing motherboards in computers to fighting with hackers over the internet to try to wrestle accounts back and forth. But if that's what the job takes, that's what it takes. And it's, it's quite wild. And anybody listening, if someone messages you and they want some numbers that are texted to your phone or off of your phone somehow, do not give them those numbers because you are giving them the keys to the kingdom. All they have to have is that six, eight digit number and they have control of your account. So basically, that's like that, that information. That's like the the two party authentication code, right? Essentially, yes. Except it didn't have two factor set up. It was just an extra security thing. It technically wasn't two factor. When I went into his account, it said that two factor wasn't set up. 
So to mitigate future issues, I set up two-factor with the Google Authenticator. That way there will be no code sent to any device. There's no phone number to steal because there's no code coming to it. You have to open the Authenticator app and get the code out that's randomly generated every minute. So that's much safer than having a code sent to your device. If you can use an Authenticator app versus getting a code sent to your phone, then you'll know to associate that app with your security. Like, hey, somebody's asking me to go to my Authenticator app and give them these numbers. I know that's suspicious. Yeah. And that's what I, I, my Google is set up like that because, you know, I've got 37,000 Google apps on my phone. So, you know, anytime I've been logged out, incidentally from, you know, YouTube or YouTube TV or, you know, any of the, the Google Docs apps that I use, it always uses my YouTube as that authenticator app. And that works really well because, um, and, and I guess... This is this is the way you have to go these these days. You have to find something that that seems as authentic as possible, and and you know switching from one app on a specific device to another to authenticate that this is you is it's that's I mean that's like physical authentic authentication to a certain extent. It's it's one step further than just being able to regurgitate a, a, a set of numbers that was texted to you. Although at the time that seemed like a really good idea too, and that can be good. But man, the 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 guys with the black hats just get better and better and better at what they're doing. It's tricky, and so you're talking about the guys with the black hats, and you're talking about Google. So I want to uh, bring up my <laughs> encounter. So this one, this one really, at first when I encountered this, I was like, okay, this is nothing. So the student comes up to me and she says, I've got a virus on my computer and it keeps redirecting my searches. Well, I see that all the time. That's easy to fix. So I'm like, all right, no big deal. And then she says, I have factory reset my computer and this still won't go away. And at that point I was like, okay, now I'm interested. Y'all know I like a challenge. Yeah. Well, I got one. I got one on Monday. It's called Search Baron. And every time you pull up Google Chrome, mind you, she had a MacBook, and it did not affect Safari at all. It was literally just Chrome. Uh-oh, Google. Uh-oh. I hope you're listening. <laughs> this one's major, man. Okay, so when I run into a virus like this or a redirect, I go and to your browser and I look at your extensions and I see if you've downloaded anything that, you know, just needs to be taken off because usually it's an extension that will take over the search. And then it's as easy as that. Turn off notifications, turn off pop-ups, boom, you're fixed. Okay. She had no extensions. She had no special browsers set up. There were no proxies. I mean, I went through the whole thing. I start, I turned to Google, of course, to fix it. And all I could find about search Baron was a bunch of information that didn't help me. Most of it was like, oh, download our virus cleaner and we'll get it off there for you. And a lot of people were like, yeah, just remove the extension or whatever. Somebody said, go into the documents and delete the search baron folder. None of these things existed. There was nothing on this Mac that was making this thing happen. So finally I was like, all right, well, what if I choose a blank profile, a new profile? So you go up to the top in the corner and you set up a new profile on Chrome and suddenly Search Baron's gone. I said, what? So it attaches itself to the Google profile, not to the browser, but to your Google profile. 
Oh my. So when you log to Chrome, when you go to Gmail or whatever and you log into Chrome for the first time, it's like, hey, do you want to log into Chrome to you know synchronize your bookmarks and all that? Oh wow. As soon as as soon as you say sync it, search baron's back on there. Now I was able to isolate this. It's some kind of an app or something, but I went and looked at this user's third-party programs that are allowed through Google. There's nothing there. So whatever it is that's attached herself to her profile, I'm not done investigating this, but the fix for now was let me create you a new profile, move your bookmarks and your passwords over, and uh, kiss that Google account goodbye for the moment. Because Was it a Chrome extension, maybe? It wasn't an extension. She wow. had no extensions on her browser. I'm telling you, man, I went through the internet looking for a solution, and nobody had one because this is some new new thing that attaches itself to the profile through the user – attaches itself to the browser through the user's Google profile. Search bar. Yeah, and I've never seen one like that before. So I asked the user if I could keep her credentials – so that I can figure out where this thing is hiding itself yeah. so that I can move it and get people's accounts back. Because I have a feeling this isn't the last time I'm going to see this. And, man, there were people that were furious online. They were like, everything people have said doesn't work. None of this stuff worked. How do I get rid of this? I'm just going to have to use a different browser. That was the best solution they could come up with. Well, I got one over on that. But usually, I'll be honest with you, the, the solutions on the Internet – are vast and many, and usually it's out there, but there was no answer for this. So if you are searching for something on Google, type it up at the top bar where your URL comes up, put in whatever search you want. If you see the words search Baron, then it's got you. And you might have the really aggressive one that infects your profile. And if you do, you need to create a new profile. All right, search Baron. All right, we got to yep. dig deeper on that. But we got a couple of calls to start with. Man, you, you've had a busy week, including some like some live game time. Like you're the, the the pitcher trying to close the big playoff game, or the the politician stepping on stage for the big debate. That's uh, you know, usually it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of using your brain. But now you're having to like it's uh, it's like a physical thing. You're having to think on your feet and move at the same time, and and yeah, almost like a sport. Uh, let's go to the phone. My job is evolving, and I'm trying to keep up with it. Absolutely. Let's start today with Alan, who's in Pearl. Alan, thanks for calling. Good morning. What's going on? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you all for taking my call. Um, I just recently, I'm no computer person, um, but I just recently purchased a new MacBook Air. And I've always heard that, you know, that you don't need any extra antivirus to go with those. And but I do know that nothing's 100%. And I've always been a big McAfee person, you know, to have McAfee and always made sure it was up to date. Um, do I need McAfee on this, or is it going to conflict, you know, or just go with the antivirus that come on the, you know, the new computer? Okay, so officially, according to Apple, uh, you don't need virus protection on a Mac, but my own accounts are different. So I would say, yes, you do need virus protection on a Mac. Do I recommend McAfee for antivirus on a Mac? I don't, but if that's the program that you like, then you can get McAfee for Mac. We call that Mac McAfee? (laughs) 
right. So that's if I install that, that's not going to conflict with. That's not going to hurt a thing, no sir. Right. Yeah, and I, I do know that it's always important to make sure your stuff is being updated. You know, I'll, I'm just kind of a fanatic. I'll go on and make sure that the updates are updated. So, um, and it's always worked, but I know, you know, it could be that day coming. So, all right, well, I appreciate it. All right, Alan, we appreciate the call this morning from Pearl and getting us started off today. All right, now let's move along to Alligator, Mississippi, where Fletch lives what's going on fletch how's it going hey yeah i made it to marigold by now there you go um, uh so i had, had uh had a question about his first story but i had another question that i just remembered um do any of y'all know if like Waze or google maps or apple maps if any of those when they're giving directions if they take into account the speed of the vehicle or if they just use it like a generic posted speed limit that is a really good question. Like, thank you for asking that because I've often been curious about it myself. And I think what it does is it uses the current uh, traffic on the road based on the devices that Google can see and how fast those devices are going to the locations that you want to go to. So I believe that it's actually an average. Okay. I could see where it would just be whatever they knew is posted, but if there was traffic or uh, construction or whatever, if it if it adjusted, I could never tell if it did or not. Remember um, that most smartphones are recording information as they're moving, and most of that information is not aware to the users. So those companies, Waze, Google, etc., they can see the traffic on the road based on our mobile devices. Interesting. Um, so what also a question on is when you were mentioning the first uh, virus thing that you had where you were playing chess with the guy uh, on that yes, profile, sir. you said you made a mistake by removing the email. What else could you have done? That's a good question. I could have gone. Uh, that is a really good question. I could have gone for the recovery number first because the entire reason that I was able to save that account is because the user was signed in on his phone. And when you sign in to Facebook on your phone, it immediately associates your phone number with your account. So his login was no longer his email. It was his phone number. So that was the same for the attacker as well. If I had removed the phone number first, I don't think I would have had to have played tag back and forth. Mm. Nice work. All right, Fletch. We appreciate the call this morning. From Alligator to Marigold. Man, we really haven't had a chance to dig into much uh, anything else than just the fires that you've been putting out at the store this week, which is totally cool. Uh, you know, and that's, you know, the thing about the the phone number is I can't imagine in, in, in Fletch asking that question with your explanation made me think how often do how often have you had a situation where people have changed phone numbers and have had an old phone number attached to some sort of account that now they can't get access to to remove. Is that an issue? Has that ever come up? Oh, all the time. And the thing about it is there's not a lot that you can do about it. It's like, okay, you don't have access to the phone number. You don't have access to the email. No. Okay, you're you're done. That account, you kiss it goodbye. Oh, it's gone. Man. This discussion we had, Jeremy, led us into uh, an interesting thing. Um, 
that you asked me, and it was very simply, have you ever tried to recover a Google account? And my answer was, hmm, seems like for as long as I've messed with Google, I would have had to, but no, I don't think I ever have. And you were like, let's talk about it. So there's a story behind that. So uh, take it away, sir. Okay. If you lose access to your Google account and you lose access to the phone number and the recovery email, if you ever had one, it is like slim to nil that you are actually going to get access to your account. Several years back, I helped a client do this. He had forgotten all of his credentials and his password and everything. And I was like, we can try, man. I've never done it before. Yeah. Google, unless something has changed, Google wants to know what day you created your account. (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) I was like, I don't believe this. Like, what day? I mean, it's not like I put it in my calendar. Oh, a momentous occasion. I registered my username with Google. But now hang on. Like, okay, so I I have full access to my Google account right now. Can I figure out what day Mm -hmm. I created it? Like, is there a way to find that? I have no idea. Probably. Surely there is. Google logs everything. Right. Well, I don't know. That's not that that information of us is not for our consumption, is it? That's for them to sell to somebody seven times over. If you if you downloaded it from Google, because you know you can download everything that Google's got on you. If you downloaded it from Google, surely somewhere in there there would be a date of creation. Wow. So all right, what all goes into having to try to recover this thing or or I mean, so that's the starting point right there. They need their starting date. They ask just all kinds of just bizarre questions. And one of them, yes, is like, what date did you create your account? My goodness. I, I, was, I was just befuddled. I was like, oh. Well, here we go. A quick, you know go- a, a, a quick Google search. Irony. Uh, here's an AndroidAuthority.com blurb. Uh, when you set up your Google account, Gmail is automatically made at the same time. The first email you will receive will become a welcome email from Google. Check the date you receive that email, and that's the date that your Google account was set up. And everyone deleted that immediately and doesn't have that anymore. Immediately. I don't know. Is there a way to find that? Well, that's another Google search, and we're off, right? All right, let's go back to the phones here. We've got... Uh, in this segment, up first, John is in Port Gibson. John, thanks for calling. What's going on? I got a thousand eight five three, and I get some meth, and they won't let me delete them. Uh oh. What I got to do? All right, Jeremy, we got a phone with messages that he can't delete. And what kind of phone did you say it was again? There's a Samsung Galaxy A five three. Sorry about that. I got booted. Okay. He's got an A53, and he's got messages he can't delete, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. What do the messages contain? It just some message people send me. Just random private messages? Okay. Yeah, just random so, messages. And it's in the messaging app of your phone, or this is on Facebook? What what app is it? It's on the message app on my phone, and then uh, Facebook. And let me okay, take so, some of them, and some of them it won't. So if your texts aren't deleting, I mean, it doesn't give you like an error message or anything. You you tap on the message and you hit delete, and it just doesn't do anything. Uh uh-uh. Okay. So normally, what I would suggest is uh, to clear the 
data in that app. So you can go into your settings and you can go to your apps and you can go directly to that app and you can clear the data in it. I think you need to clear the data in it. Okay. All right, I'll try it. So you just tap on it and then you go to uh, storage. And then at the bottom, it'll say like clear data and clear cache. Just yeah. clear them both and relaunch that app and see see if that helps. Now, if your Facebook is not deleting account, I mean, deleting messages, that's a whole different ball of wax there. But I don't understand why it wouldn't work. You should be able to just press down on the message and hit delete and it should disappear. If it doesn't, you may want to try logging out of the app and logging back into it and see if maybe it, if it's just got a glitch or something. Then you, maybe you can delete your messages after that. Okay, I sure think I'm gonna try this. Now, John, let me ask you real fast: Do you use Facebook as your as your regular messages app? Like, no, I don't okay. Use, I got I use Self. Gotcha. Good. That's that's a good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to make sure that those didn't become one and the same somehow or another. All right, John, let us know how that works and give us a call back. All right. All right. Thank you. All right, we appreciate it. That's uh, John from Port Gibson. Up next is Sherry, who is in Mobile. Sherry, thanks for calling. Good morning. What's happening? Um, here's the problem. My husband's phone keeps asking for his iCloud ID, and we have never set up an iCloud account. We do not have a password for it. Okay, so what you need to do first is find out what the iCloud account is because – it seems that something has been set up on your device. So even if you didn't do it, somebody may have. What you need to do is go to your go to your settings, and then at the very top, it will say somebody's name, and it will show an email. You can tap on that, and that will tell you what the iCloud account email address is. I have the iCloud email address. I just don't have the password for it. Okay. If you don't have the password, then you need to go back into that iCloud app on your phone and say that you forgot your password, and then it will send a code to your phone and walk you through resetting your password. Okay. Because we're trying you to can do download. It yeah, we're trying to download an uh, app to sync a hearing aid, and it just um, keeps asking us for this stupid password that we don't have. <laughs> Gotcha. So, yeah, just go go into your uh, iCloud and reset the password right there on the phone, and you should be able to get into that as well. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right, Sherry. Thank you for the call. We appreciate that. We can uh, do a full reset and get into more of what Jeremy's been dealing with uh, at, the, at the shop over the last week or so, but also – uh, some of the stories going on through the week, including uh, one that I dug up about a, an Uber passenger uh, who took a 15-minute ride and was charged $39,000 for it. I'll, I'll drive that person for, for that rate. I'll, I'll be an Uber driver for that rate uh, seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Uh, but we'll tell you how that situation worked out. And, uh, you know, we got 16.1 iOS coming out later this month. There's some new features we could talk about uh, there as well. All right, Jeremy. So an Uber passenger was charged almost $39,000 for a 15-minute journey after the destination was incorrectly set to Australia. (laughs) 
Uh, an Uber passenger was charged almost 35,000 euros or around 39,000 American dollars for a 15-minute journey after his destination was set to Australia. Uh, Oliver Kaplan, who was 22, ordered an Uber in a city near Manchester, England, after he finished worked, uh, work to go and meet some friends about four miles away. Uber quoted the journey to be between 10 and 11 euros, Kaplan told the news outlets. However, the next morning he woke up to an email from the ride-hailing app saying he had insufficient funds to pay his charge of 35,427 euros and 97 uh, to the cents, is that what they... Anyway, I should know that. I'm 43. Uh, per screenshots shared with the Manchester Evening News. Uh, Kaplan told the outlets I ordered an Uber like I do most nights on the way home from work and everything seemed normal. The driver arrived and got in the Uber and he took me exactly where I was meant to be going. It was a 15-minute journey tops and the bill was said to be between 10 and 11 euros charged to my debit card. However, when he woke up hungover the next day, the last thing I expected was a charge of over 35000 he added. Uh, he rushed to contact Uber's customer service. What did I do last night? <laughs> right. <laughs> so waking up with a hangover, you've got to look at that number seven or eight times. That's not a double check. That's an octuple check if you need to. Hangover and a heart attack. Right, right. He rushed to contact Uber's customer service through the app. The person he spoke to, who at first seemed stumped, according to Kaplan, said the bill was so high because the drop-off location had wrongly been set to Australia. After verification, Uber adjusted the price to 10 euros and 73 bits or whatever it is. God, I need to look that up. Uh, Kaplan so, told the Manchester Evening News, if I had that sort of money, I'd have to uh, I would have had to chase them for a refund. It could have landed me in all sorts of financial trouble. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Whoops. Is, is Uber not aware that you can't actually drive? Australia? Well, I was going to say, does Uber offer flights? Uh, I mean, how does how can you miss set something across several oceans and continents all at once? And it's just like, yeah, that looks cool to me, bro. Yeah. That was the private jet price. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Hey, uh, to follow up uh, with uh, Alan, a caller earlier uh, with his Mac, are there is there antivirus that that you suggest specifically for a Mac or, or is there one, is there an industry standard for Mac as opposed to windows or anything like that for antivirus? For many years, uh, me and Wilkes both have recommended malware bytes yeah. uh, because it's just a program that works and it doesn't add any extra bells and whistles to your computer. There's no VPN. There's no grime cleaner. There's not a bunch of just unnecessary stuff that most users don't need or even know why they would want attached to it. And that's why I like it. It only does what it needs to do. Malware bites. And it seems like they, of all the companies that have done this, they've made it the easiest to be a part of your, your I guess, computing flow if that makes any yeah, kind of sense. Um, and that's me in a, that's me working in a windows environment most of the time, but, but man, they just make it, they make it really easy. And, and I don't know, there's a free version and I don't know what your take is on that necessarily, but there's a free version that I've used for most of the last, I don't know how many ever years, uh, double digit years on the different computers that I've had. And I mean, I don't know, just the fact that they offer that and they push it, you know, now look, they'll they'll offer you upgrades, and I know that if I upgrade, I'll have better protection, and there's a reason for that. They are a business, but just the fact that they've offered that that 
free kind of get you over version for the longest time. That means something to me, you know? Oh, for sure. And um, the thing about the free version, it works perfectly fine. It runs the same as the other virus protection. It's just not active protection. So it's not constantly monitoring websites that you're going to. It's not looking at your files to make sure there's no viruses buried in there. It only runs when you tell it to run. Whereas the paid version does that stuff in the background and monitors your files and keeps you protected from ransomware and, you know, malicious websites and all that. Um, I like the paid protection because it's one of the cheaper ones that's out there. And again, it just does what you need it to do. It doesn't try to add anything additional. But whether you want to go the free route or the paid route, it's still a really good program and you get some top-notch virus removal. And I've used it for years whenever other programs couldn't remove everything. It seemed like Malwarebytes could. And I just want to say that we aren't paid to say any of this. We just talk about what's good. I wish I was getting paid by Malwarebytes. I really do. <laughs> Uh, to say this because it is a good program. Um, I also use their TechBench, which is a uh, software suite that is built for computer engineers, repair guys, um, that allows me to do quick virus scans on clients' computers. And it has a ton of other tools. Um, the adv- uh, the anti-bundleware tool is one of my favorites because years ago there was a program called um, – Oh, man, I can't even remember what it's called now. Uh, oh, it's been so long. It, what it would do is it would it would basically like bring up every computer or every program that you had on your computer, and then you could remove them all from that one program. And it would just run through the uninstallations in the background, and you wouldn't have to click on next or do anything like that. It made it really easy. I, I can't believe I forgot the name of that program. Oh, and that's practical, anyway. too, because of the way that a lot of these programs set you up with their their add-ons during install and uninstallation. Right. That's, man, I, that's... And even the way they, they... And I know this is super old-school stuff at this point, but the way they, they start some things with boxes checked and you have to uncheck it, and other things, they're unchecked, and you have to check them to not to make them not do. That's, dis- right. that's disingenuous. Disingenuous. The name. Boo. The name of that program was the PCD Crapifier, and it used to be a really good program. <laughs> it got to the point where it wasn't so efficient at removing the programs. Like you would have to go through and hit next on some of them and all that. Eventually, it just got to where it wasn't as good. But the Malwarebytes anti-bundleware is a program that runs in the same way, and it brings up everything really quickly and removes it all. And if there's a problem, it'll let you know. Um, sometimes I do still have to use like a special removal tool to remove antivirus programs, but that's just part of the job. Sometimes you'll have a stubborn program that just doesn't want to get off your computer or some of the files were removed or something. For one reason or another, it just won't run through the regular uninstall. And in those cases, you have to go to the actual virus protection company, say it's McAfee or Avast or whatever, and you have to look up the removal tool for those specific programs to get rid of them. Mm, goodness. All right, let's go back to the phones. Mike is up next in Hernando. Mike, thanks for calling. Good morning. What's going on? Hey, you guys. I'm glad you're talking about this. Uh, yesterday, my computer, my little laptop, froze up. A warning popped up from Microsoft and says you have a virus. Call this number mm-hmm. because your virus protection is set, et cetera, and you know. So anyway, I did. And I followed the instructions from the technician. He told me what to click on and all that, and he took control of it and all that. 
And then when it was finished, she offered me two programs, I mean, two uh, options to buy. And I did buy one. It was $400 for a one-time charge. Is that out of the ordinary, or is that pretty reasonable yes. for full virus protection? That is exorbitant. That is exorbitant. Um, Man, I, those I, programs, th- those those companies are not legitimate. The whole reason that you're having a, quote, virus pop-up on your computer is because they've used a pop-up to hijack your machine to freak you out and make you think, oh, something's happened. But it's their ad. So I would recommend that you uh, have somebody else look at your computer and make sure that there wasn't something left on there because you never know what type of people you're giving access to your stuff. And if they were on your computer uh-huh. for hours, there's no telling what kind of information they could have stolen or anything else that they could have left on your machine. I do not mean to right. fear monger when I take these kinds of calls, but when I deal with a client who has let somebody uh, from a, a, a shady company into their computer, I usually go the nuclear route and back up all their stuff, delete Windows, and reinstall everything fresh because you just never know who you're dealing with. Yeah. I would also recommend you contact your card company and issue a chargeback because you have been ripped off, my friend. Oh, gotcha. I'm a, I will do that. Great, great, great. Thank you guys so much. Mike, absolutely. Thanks for calling in uh, this morning. So, Jay, I just want to reiterate, like, if anybody listening has a pop-up on their computer that says, you've got a virus, call this number, do not mm-hmm. call the number. First thing you need to do is try to close your browser. If you're really freaked out, you can just shut your computer down. Um, a lot of times the uh, ads these days, they make noise. Turn your speakers off or turn your volume down. Or like I said, just turn the computer off entirely and contact your computer guy. If you don't have one, seek one out, read some reviews. There's somebody out there who can help you. But these companies that make these numbers pop up on your machines are not the ones that you should trust. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, man, if, if something is popping up on my screen, asking me to call a number that I didn't have any kind of control over, man, at that point, I'm ready to kick the plug out of the wall because that ain't how that's supposed to work. Hey, uh, digging back into uh, the search baron thing from the beginning of the show and your story. And if folks missed the beginning of the show and the search baron uh, part, uh, I suggest you find the podcast for the show. And listen, because uh, it's an interesting story. But, uh, you know, I just did a search about, you know, fixing Search Baron. And it's got all sorts of links from from people who've been <laughs> led down the, the primrose path. Here's Baron. just here is one response to one Reddit um, post. Uh, this is from nine months ago. OK, best thing to do is back up your files, reinstall Mac OS from scratch. Restore files and run malware byte scan. This is one nasty virus. It also says, quote, managed by organization, close quote, on the Google Chrome profile. Really sketch. So, yeah. Not, you don't necessarily have to do a reinstall of Mac OS from scratch. No? Don't have to go quite that deep with it. I but mean, that, that will fix it. it. No, that will not fix it. Oh, no? Not search for it. Because as soon as you log back into your browser, as soon as you reconnect Chrome and sync your stuff, the Baron's got you again. That's right, because you said it was it was all tied to the browser and not your hard yeah, drive the, or your computer profile. or anything. To the, to the profile on Google. 
So as soon as you log into the browser, it takes it over. Oh, and then but it's like the profile that's the key. And so, okay, so a step further is like whenever you go to like a friend's house or your phone or like work mm-hmm. and you log in with your profile there, it's going to get that one too, huh? Yeah. Right. Yep. That's a good that's time. Right. That's a real good time. All right. Uh, here are uh, some new features uh, coming up with iOS 16.1. Uh, Apple's bringing several new changes, and this is on MacRumors.com. New changes, features, and bug fixes for iPhone users. Um, so live activities. Uh, with iOS 16.1, Apple is enabling live activities. This is a, a proper noun, so it's capitalized. So live activities is their thing now. On the redesigned iOS 16 lock screen and uh, on the dynamic island on the iPhone 14 Pro. Uh, it's a new type of interactive notification that can dynamically display real-time information from apps without needing to open an app directly. Uh, Uber, for example, when not uh, sending you off to Australia can display a live activities notification on the iOS 16 lock screen to show the estimated time of arrival of a car. Uh, Sports apps will also be able to utilize live activities to showcase game scores in real time. There's a redesigned battery indicator. Over the summer, Apple added a battery percentage indicator to the status bar for iPhones with a notch. The initial version of the battery indicator included a battery icon that remained visually full, regardless of the iPhone's actual charge. In 16.1, so in other words, they're taking away the, uh, the, the, I guess, the misleading, the visual of, of the green part of your phone battery going down with an actual number, I guess, if that's, you know, if you work with numbers better than visuals. So, yeah, but they're changing that to accurately reflect the charge level with the percentage shown. So there you go. That's a feature, I suppose. Uh, Apple Fitness Plus. With just an iPhone, starting with 16.1, iPhone users will be able to subscribe and use Apple Fitness Plus without needing an Apple Watch. Fitness Plus is a subscription from Apple that provides a wide catalog of workout videos and programs with different trainers. At launch, an Apple Watch was needed to use Fitness Plus, and now that will no longer be the case. Uh, you got a clean energy charging option. How about this, Jeremy? In 16.1, Apple's added a a new, new clean energy charging option that selectively charges the iPhone when lower carbon emission electricity is available in an effort to provide a more green charging method. Apple says the iPhone will still reach a full charge before it's needed based on a user's daily routine, and the feature can be toggled off if desired. You said that's strange. What do you mean by that? Well, how do you... What does it do? Uh, okay, I'm sorry. There's no clean energy available right now. Your phone can't charge. What? <laughs> well, it just can't charge like it wants to. I guess maybe. Uh, I don't know. Strange. I don't. I don't really get that one. I mean, does it use your location to determine? I, I'm so confused by that one. Yeah. Uh, neato. <laughs> right. <laughs> so cool. Jay, there was uh, there was some cool stuff with the iPhone 14 that we didn't talk about because uh-huh. I hadn't really done any research on it. So you know that the iPhone 14 is the first iPhone that has no SIM card. Or that's no right. SIM drawer. Yes. No physical SIM card. So that's that's new. It uses eSIM only. That's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And what they're going to put in that spot is anybody's guess because right now it's just a, a gap in the phone. It's just empty space. Well, you know they got some plans said, for it because, I mean, that's such a finite amount of space. To- that right. They wouldn't. They said, they said that Steve Jobs was <laughs> big on using all of the available space inside a device. So if he were alive, 
he would have had a small cow over that open space. Right. Curious what he would have wanted to cram in there. Not a headphone jack. I can tell you that. No, not a headphone jack. (laughs) But in addition to that, they they, they also put something new in the, uh, in the iPhone 14 Pro, it has a satellite connection for SOS services. So if you go off the grid, you have no cellular service, you have no data, and you need someone to save you, it has the ability to connect to satellites to pinpoint your location. That's super cool. I'm, I'm curious to see how often that will be used, but it is practical and I, I would like to see stuff like that added to more phones although i will say this allows someone to be tracked no matter where they go which, yeah you know we're big proponents on privacy and this is definitely something that needs to be handled delicately that's one of those things it's it's kind of it's your choice it's like when we talked about all the targeted ads it's like uh, i mean i understand not wanting somebody out there to know everything that I'm looking at and what I'm searching for and what it is that I want to buy. But at the same time, and this is, this has always been just my personal take. Like I I don't, I don't mind the targeted ads because if it's, I mean, it's one thing if, and again, don't search for underwear at work. If I just bought a pair of underwear, (laughs) maybe I don't need more ads for underwear right now, but if I didn't complete the purchase, like if I'm looking for PlayStation 5 games or, heaven forbid, Kevin Farrell, a PlayStation 5 I can actually put my hands on, um, you know, if, if, if that mission hasn't been completed yet, I don't, I don't mind ads pointing me to those things. But that was neither here nor there. Cleaning up the this, this 16.1, uh, some features that are be, being added, redesigned wallpaper section within settings, uh, a constant copy and paste prompt has been fixed. Um, uh, it includes groundwork, as you just mentioned a second ago, for the smart home standard matter and emergency SOS via satellite and the ability to, to delete the wallet app if you so choose. So I don't know why you would want to delete that necessarily. I, I, it's one of those things I just assume it has to be there, like a lot of their utility apps. And if I don't want to use it, I just let it exist in the background. But no. And uh, as we go, Jeremy, how about this? Google is introducing Chromebooks geared for cloud gaming just in time for the shuttered Google Stadia. It's been barely weeks since Google announced that it's shutting down Stadia, its uh, cloud gaming service platform. And now the company is rolling out a brand new cloud gaming announcement. It's launching Chromebooks tuned for cloud gaming made by different manufacturers. So they've gone out and they've partnered with uh, NVIDIA, GeForce Now, Microsoft <laughs> Xbox, <but> right? Microsoft <laughs> Xbox Cloud Gaming, which had to hurt, right? And even Amazon right. Luna to bring in marquee oh. titles to users. Zoinks in a way. Sorry. I guess that, well, that hurt a little bit. Hey, and I, I Googled it and the, uh, the cent euro is called a cent. So I was technically right, even though I thought I was being stupid and wrong. Hey, thanks so much for all the calls today, Jeremy. Thanks for the great stories from the workshop this week. And uh, we will uh, see folks again next Wednesday at 10 for another episode of Everyday Tech right here on Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 